Awesome. Thank you, Julian, for leading us this morning. I It's one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Christmas song. And uh, I love the verse where it says, Change shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And it's incredible, the value that God gives us. Uh, it changes the world because everyone is equal in the sight of God and has value and has meaning. And Jesus' coming showed us that. And it's what's given us hope and changed the world. Uh, we are excited to be with you today as we continue our Christmas series. And you, whether you know the Christmas story or not, um, you always hear of the birth of Christ. That is obviously part of the story. And, and so it's interesting when you think about birth. When a child is born, if you don't have kids, um, you've probably been to one of these celebrations at one point in your life. Uh, whether it was a sibling or a close friend or whoever it may be. But uh, before the birth, people let you know. Like they announced the birth is happening, and in our in the age of social media, we've become, become more and more advanced with this, and we have all these gender reveals where we set forest on fire with fireworks and all these crazy things that happens that happened this year, believe it or not. But uh, balloons pop, and it's pink or blue, and all these different crazy things. But we like to announce the birth, and you, you typically will have a baby shower, and leading up to at least your first child, at least, you'll, you know, people will throw you a party. And then when after, you know, the baby's done, people will eventually announce that in some for, form or fashion. And with, with my wife and I, um, it's the same. We've done, you know, several, we've done some of those things. We didn't do crazy uh, reveal parties or anything like that. No popping of balloons. Um, the baby still came despite not doing that. And, but we did have friends throw us a baby shower. I remember we had friends from New York and Jersey City here, uh, threw my wife a big party. And it was p all kinds of people that gathered together. And there were presents and there were fun games and decorations. And it was a great, a great way to be celebrated. And then um, after a baby was born, we eventually got around to letting people know via social media. I don't know. We may have sent cards out. I, I don't. That was a crazy time. We eventually had more kids soon after that. And so eventually becomes a little bit blurry. But we did those things. We announced the baby's here. We sent text to family. In fact, somebody else actually announced the baby on social media before us. Uh, on our behalf, actually, they were not asked to do that. They just decided to be the one that told everybody, which is really taboo. Um, we're not bitter at all. <laughs> but, you know, th it's just people are excited to share news or be selfish. I don't know, whichever one they were. There's no judgment here. But anyway, um, just, I'm totally joking around. But we have the announcements of birth, and that's what we see. And what's fascinating about the birth of Christ is Jesus, or excuse me, God is, has did these things. There was before announcing the birth was coming and, and crazy things. And in fact... He, he announced it and began to, we see it talked about, God gave us prophecies about it hundreds of years before in exact detail. And we'll be reading from both of these scripture passages today. And our Christmas series is centered around four symbols um, this year. Right now, more than ever, we are looking for something to bring us joy it has not been a fun year, and, and things are very confusing, and it's hard for us to come to consensus on how to engage life right now with COVID happening. And, and being isolated more and more is causing a lot of stress, and we are very aware of that in our lives. And so we're just looking for things to bring us happiness and joy 
And, and so there are symbols of Christmas that we decorate with, that we do and experience that are actually pointing to a deeper hope in joy. And so more than ever, we're longing for the messages of Christmas to be true. And Christmas is a fascinating holiday because it's both celebrated by a secular world and a Christian world. And some people get offended by that on both sides, actually, but then we're not here at all. We celebrate, we embrace these common things that we celebrate. I love it. And so we have the symbol of Santa. We talked about that last week with the the gift and presence. We have a, a God who came as a gift to us. It says he's been born to you. It says foreign to us, a son is given. He is a gift giving, loving God a perfect heavenly father. And today we're going to talk about a banquet and feasting and the joy and the celebration that comes from that. And so actually this week, we're hoping to actually send you these magnets. We want you to really consider these symbols of hope. And so I have this magnet, and if you've given your information to us, we should be sending it to you. Uh, next Sunday, let me know if you didn't get it. Uh, of course, it could get to you like next month, <laughs> depending on how crazy the shipping gets this week. But um, I want you to know and to be reminded when you are struggling this month and when you feel down or you feel hopeless, um, when you see these symbols, to connect it to a deeper hope that you have in Christ. And for maybe some of you, you're learning what that is. And so today, we're going to talk about the banquet feasting. And each week we'll be using this Christmas story out of Matthew and Luke and out of Isaiah, the prophecies that we have of Christ. They're amazing. And last week we talked about the angels and their announcement to the shepherds. And I'm going to go right before that now and read what happened before the angels went to them. This is found in Luke 2, starting in verse 1. It says here, it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And what I love about the story of Christ, and this is Luke. Luke gave a very detailed written account of Jesus' life uh, based on extensive interviews with eyewitnesses. And we have this from a while back now, and it's, and it's, it's in great detail. We have these great historical facts. And what I love is that is, is a, this is a place in time and history with actual rulers. And this records that. So Caesar Augustus actually ruled Rome. We, we know about that. And it's one of the many, many, many things and details that help us have incredible confidence that Jesus is the Son of God and that he came to us. And he had issued a decree that the census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was a massive undertaking, a really big deal, and you'll see why. It says this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Even more details that tied to specific historical times and events. And it says, and everyone went to their own town to register. I mean, you think it's hard enough to get the census here in our country done? Like, all we have to do is go online quickly. (laughs) But, like, it's even hard to get us to do that. And that happened this year, if you didn't know that and uh, or just forgot to do it. Um, You may have heard about that. But, I mean, they had to go to their family of origin, where their families were from, no matter where they were at. I have to travel there. It was not easy. So it was chaos. And so it says here, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, 
And so this Judea is a this specific region here in the Middle East, and it says, and then he went to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. That's a significant event that confirms prophecies uh, about who Christ would be coming from this line. It's an exact line of history, that, of, of family heritage that was documented. It's incredible. And so Joseph went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, if you're reading this from Jewish history, and if you were someone at the time, you know, you've been like, like it would have been shocking to read that because uh, to be pledged to be married is a term that we are familiar with being engaged, but being engaged was a very marriage-like permanent commitment as far as the way that they committed to one another, but they were not officially married yet. And so to be pregnant before marriage, you know, that's still somewhat, you know, talked about in today's culture, believe it or not. But back in this day and age, this was no way. In fact, if you know from Matthew's account, Joseph wanted to divorce her. And so they would have been shunned by their family. They would have not been in good status. They, it would have been um, something where uh, they would have been looked down upon in society. The coming of Christ brought trouble just to be honest. And so it just reveals so much within that one sentence. This is a life that they are engaging in right now. And so, so he's pledged married. They are expecting a child. And it says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. The census is happening. It's chaos. Everybody's having to go back to this town and every other town. So people are, are flocking to these places uh, in, in numbers that are not normally seen. So every possible place has been filled up. There's apparently no family that will take them or can take them or maybe even want to take them. We don't know. They're in, they're in what we know to be an outdoor-ish type environment with animals around and placing them in a, the manger, the animal trough. Usually, when you're planning for a baby, you have the hospital planned, you've scouted out the doctor, you know who's going to be giving birth. The, you know, you, for parents now, like, I'm going to tour all the hospitals if I can do it. You know, which one takes my insurance, which one doesn't, and all these things, and you worry and you prepare and you try to get everything lined up so it will be okay. And then this census comes along and blows all of that up. They have to go to a place that they do not live. They don't know all the people that well. There's no midwife available for her that would have been in her own family in that time. And so it's all been thrown off. Isn't that interesting? And so the Christmas story begins. They're not able to announce the birth and tell their friends and all these different things. But guess what? This is the Son of God coming. So God took care of the pre-stuff. He let them know angels came. But he also took care of the birth announcement and gave the best birth announcement ever in the history of man. This is what we read last week in Luke 10. It says, it says the angel came to the shepherds and they're saying, Glory to God in the highs. It says, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. This 
amazing, amazing birth announcement. But it was an announcement, not of a just for Mary, something that happened to Mary and Joseph. This was for all people. It's been born to you. This is a massive celebration. And the shepherds celebrated. It, it told them that they matter. These religious outcasts, God was like, you're not an outcast. I care about you. Listen to who this baby was. Listen to Isaiah's account. God was prophesying through his prophet hundreds of years before. Talks about the coming of Jesus. This is what it says. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isn't that what we are longing for right now? In deep darkness, we want a light. We're going to dive into that next week. You don't want to miss that. But listen to what it says. It continues. It says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. It begins to talk about a celebration. Listen to this. It says, as with joy at the harvest. This is going to be a celebration, like the celebration of a harvest. The joy of the harvest. Now, this is a kind of a thing that I feel like we have to explain because we all live in the city. Like we are not in a farm type environment, but we know enough to kind of understand. You know, we can infer, okay, the harvest is in. So that means they've they've planted all the crops, they did all that hard work, they sow, they sow, and they then they reap the harvest and they pull it in and they get the harvest and they're like, the food's here. Like we got food. This is a great news. We're really excited about food. And then it kind of also celebrates the work ending and like they can kind of begin to rest. And so they usually at the harvest throw a huge feast and a banquet to celebrate this. Many cultures have, have, have all these celebrations centered around the harvest coming in. Joy, the harvest, that means it's banquet time. Like we're ready to celebrate. It's time to party. The food is in. Let's have a feast. That is the joy of the harvest. And we love this. And if you live in Jersey City, one of the reasons you live here is because you love food. And I'm just telling you, we love good food. We, wanted, we were close to Manhattan. And when I first moved here, we would go in all the time. But then Jersey City like, exploded on the food scene. And we really felt the need to go in to Manhattan anymore because of the great food. We loved food. Feast, and we love to gather around a table. So essentially the Christmas season, I believe, really kind of kicks off with Thanksgiving because we feast then, and then we're like, this is awesome. Let's do this again in one month. And you just kind of eat to your heart's content. But we love to do this year-round if possible. My wife and I love to feast, and Erin talks about this. She says, she says, there is no greater joy than gathering at the table over food. She says it feels like a sense of timelessness. Like no one has a place to be or to go. We're just there. And it's a place of sharing stories and laughter. And then she said this this week. We were talking about it. And she says it feels like a picture of eternity. Where you're just satisfied. You're filled up. You know, we're not worried about time, and you just laugh and enjoy it. At some point in your life, you've experienced something like that. 
There's nothing better than a giant feast or a huge party to celebrate life with loved ones or friends. We throw caution to the wind. We eat and drink to our heart's content. We love being filled up with celebration and life. And we're like, man, if we could just get that back. But you know that, that in Jesus, Jesus said that it can. It's like a picture of heaven is this great banquet feast that we're all going to engage in one day. It's a picture of what will eventually, that we're going to have with God permanently. This is why Jesus came. This is why he came. It's why we celebrate his birth in a significant way. Listen to Jesus' words to us. This is in John. In John's written account of Jesus' life, he wants us to know that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus is speaking one day, and it says here, it says, And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus also said this. He says, Jesus answered, Whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty again. And Jesus was at a well, and he was talking about water. And he's like, he's like if you drink this water, you'll be thirsty again. He says, But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You are fulfilled. She's like, you live your life and you pursue things that won't actually fill you up. It won't make you happy forever. And so our life is the pursuit of the fulfillment of things to try to fill up that void that we can't do. It's just always an appetite to be filled up, whether it's food or sex or luxury or entertainment. All these addictions that we have, right? Technology or TV or alcohol or status or power, your pursuit of power to fill you or your position, whatever that may be, we chase this. None of it ever truly fills us. It only just leaves you wanting for more. And when we are hurting and we are lonely, if we're isolated, life is difficult, we seek after more of these things. We seek after the the next thing. We want that fulfillment we have at the banquet, right? We just want to be filled up. This year, we've discovered those things that we held up so high actually didn't fill us up. And so we just like, well, what's the next thing that will bring me hope? Maybe an election outcome will, will solve everything. Or maybe a, a vaccine will begin to help solve these things. And Christmas traditions, and that's something that we love and like Christmas movies. I'll just watch every Christmas movie possible, all the ones I haven't seen which I love Christmas movies. We found one that we hadn't seen yet this weekend, and we watched it already as a family. These are great things, but when we're grasping for happiness and joy, if we make them to be the place to fill us up, we know it's ultimately empty. 
but light has dawned. To hear these words in a light of great darkness, Mary and Joseph probably weren't really feeling that very joyful in all the hardship of the baby being born, but the angels are announcing unto you this great joy for everyone has come. Jesus says, whoever pursues me will never go hungry. And the disciples that begin to follow Jesus were hoping for all these things that they were pursuing to be solved. They thought, they saw all the great problems in their world, and they thought that when Jesus came, these political problems would go away. I mean, they were under this heavy-handed ruler who out of his paranoia and, and protecting his kingdom would kill even his own family to, repain, to retain power. He was incredibly evil and killed all these people around him, including his family members. It was a terrible time. And some of Jesus' disciples were like, he's, he's going to take care of these, these political issues. And they had these different sides of things that Jesus showed. He's like, oh, there's a deeper problem. And we're all broken. No matter what happens, it's not going to fill you up. So thank God that Jesus was not just a good teacher. He gives us a lot of wise things for us to pursue in our life. Yes. But listen to what he claimed to be. He claimed to be the source of our hope. He says, I am the bread of life. In a land living in darkness, this is what we really want. It's what we really need. Just like we heard last week, today to you, a Savior has been born. A Savior. That's what we need. This Christmas, I want you to consider Jesus, if you've never pursued him, is he actually your hope? The symbol of the banquet represents this awesome feast and joy of the harvest. If you're a Christ follower already, you're pursuing him. This is, yeah, this is a reminder for us. It's one thing to know about this and to believe, but I want to ask you today, are you making him the center of your hope? You and I both need to actually go to him. He says, I am the bread of life. I am your source of strength and your hope. And when you and I find ourselves going to things to try to fill us up, even though we know it's not good for us long term, we still are pursuing it. We are saying that I don't have hope in this and we need to, to fill ourselves up instead with Jesus. What does that mean? It means that we need to take time to just go and to pray and to talk with him, just start a conversation. Read the scriptures in community with others. All these things help point us to Christ. You need to go to him. How can he be the center of your life? He is your strength and hope. He is my strength and hope. And listen, I'm with you. I go to these things. I go to food and drink and all you know, and, 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 and others and entertainment. I try to fill myself up with things that I know eventually won't. 
I need to go back to my heavenly Father. The banquet reminds us of a deeper hope that you and I have in Christ. And it says to us that no matter what's going on, even in darkness, even when things are unsure, we don't know the answers, we can't come to agreement, whatever life is throwing at us, it will never change our hope in Christ. We always have this. So the questions for us to ask this week One is, have you considered Jesus as your hope? And if you are pursuing that, I encourage you to get the book from us. I'd love to send it to you this week. Let us know via checking in. And then the other question is this. What is the one thing that you can do each day to put your hope in Christ? Let's begin to pursue a lasting hope. What's that one thing you can do? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for these amazing words that you've given us. God, I pray today that if we've never wrestled with it before, we would wrestle with this claim that you said, I am the bread of life. And we never have to go hungry in our souls hoping again we can have assurance in you. I pray that we would begin to start that journey today and ask those questions if we've never taken those steps. Just begin to pursue what does it mean to pursue you. I pray today that for Christ's followers, we will be reminded of our need to place you as a strength of our life. I confess that the many times that I don't, Jesus, I pray that we would begin to experience what it means to find hope. You didn't promise to take the darkness away. You didn't promise that everything would be awesome all the time, but you promised you'd be with us and that we know through the defeat, your defeat of death and grave that we have hope for eternity. I pray that we would know that this Christmas season. We thank you, Father. We ask this all in your name. Amen.